We come now to the preaching of God's Word, and I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of 1 Peter and the second chapter, the book of 1 Peter and the second chapter. I'll be reading this morning and then preaching on the first three verses. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. I invite you to read along silently as I read aloud this morning. Here we read beginning in verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your mercy and grace this morning. We thank you for the privilege to be here today to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we would ask now for the work of the Holy Spirit that he would be our guide and teacher this morning as we deal with this text of Scripture. And we would ask that you grant us understanding of it and help us to apply it in such a way that our thinking and our lives, our conduct, our speech, are transformed for the glory of God and for the good of his church. For we ask these things this morning in Jesus' blessed name. Amen. This morning we begin a new chapter in the book of 1 Peter. And in doing so, we now address what we must put away from our conduct and what we must truly long for if we desire to grow in grace as Christians, and I trust that is our desire this morning, to grow in grace as believers in Jesus Christ. However, before we examine our sermon text this morning, I, I want us to remember what we considered last Sunday morning regarding our need for a genuine and sincere love for the brethren, and regarding the type of commitment that we should have to God's powerful and imperishable word which lives and abides forever. So let me take a few moments to review. You'll recall from last week that the best evidence or the best proof that we've been born again is our exercise of Christ-like love from a pure heart or from a heart that is no longer given over to hypocrisy or to deceit, but a heart that has been purged and cleansed or obedience. Then secondly, we saw last week as well that the power that frees us, the power that produces within us the fruit of obedience is the Spirit of God who uses the living and abiding Word of God as its principal seed. For the Word of God is not a powerless, perishable seed which fails to take permanent root or to bring about fruit, but rather the Word of God creates life. It is a Word that once it is sown, once it is watered by the Holy Spirit, produces true, lasting spiritual transformation in those who receive it, in those who look to Christ and who desire to submit to His leadership above everything else. So in considering what we are to do for the glory of God and for the sake of our own growth, 
we must maintain sincere and earnest love among us, and this can only be done by submitting to and obeying the teaching of God's living and abiding word. Here in our text this morning, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, Peter instructs his readers and us on how to pursue these spiritual priorities. How to pursue these spiritual priorities. For having set forth our duties to love and to live obediently under the word of God, back in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter now addresses here in 1 Peter chapter 2, the spiritual action and the spiritual desire that we are to maintain in our lives if we want to glorify God and if we want to continue to grow. And so Peter's instructions here are, are very important, and we need to consider them carefully and with a willingness to obey. For we want to be doers of the word as obedient children, right? Not just casual listeners of the word of God who have no intention of carrying out the word of God, but we want to be obedient doers of the word and obedient children of God. And let us notice here first that Peter addresses the action that we are to deliberately take to ensure that sincere brotherly love is present and maintained among us. For Peter writes here in verse 1 of this second chapter these words, So put away all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander, unquote. And no doubt Peter mentions this list of sins to put off here in particular because I want us to notice this. These are all sins, especially when they are present within a group of believers that diminish and destroy brotherly love. You want to know how to diminish and destroy brotherly love? Then let these sins be present. In fact, let's consider briefly each of these sins and the destructive effect that each one has upon a group of believers, beginning here in verse 1 with the sin of malice. The sin of malice. What is malice? Well, malice is the purposeful intent to harm or to injure someone. For to express malice towards another person is to wish them ill. To wish them ill. Or to hope that in some way they will suffer some kind of trouble or hardship. Because you don't want them to prosper or to be blessed in ways that you are currently not. And certainly it's easy to see why malice should not be present among brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. For we are not called to desire the demise or the discouragement of others. But we are called to pray for, we are called to promote our brother or sister's spiritual good. And yet in our own sinful hearts, we can be insensitive. And we can be selfish. We can become envious of our brother or our sister or become easily offended by something that they have done, or something that they didn't do, and we can find ourselves hoping for something less than a positive and joyous outcome for them. 
In fact, we can find ourselves condemning them in our own hearts. Have you ever done that? Condemn another brother or sister, hoping that they will be pained or hoping that they will learn a hard lesson that the Lord will teach them something. Rather than seeking what will promote their peace and their spiritual growth. And therefore, we need in the words of the Apostle Peter here in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1 to put off malice. To put off malice. And it's interesting to note that the participle, which functions as a verb here, and the ESV translates it put off, actually means to take off or to lay aside to take off or to lay aside. In fact, the word picture here, according to many Bible scholars, is that of taking off or laying aside an unwanted garment or a piece of clothing, something that you're wearing that is wearing you down or weighing you down or hindering you in some way. For just as we are to take off a garment which hinders or weighs us down, you and I should be taking off, you and I should be removing from our shoulders, from our backs, the unloving sin of malice from our own lives. For as long as we have malice operating in us, as long as we harbor ill will or in bad intentions towards other people within the body, we'll be weighed down in ways that will hinder our expressions of sincere love between us. And therefore, the first sin, and some would argue the chief sin, which is why it's mentioned first, the first sin, our chief sin in this list that we must put off from us is the sin of malice. We must stop wishing ill or evil among those who mistreat us, or upon those who disagree with us, or upon those who we just don't think that we like very much. We must put off, we must take off those feelings. Then the next two sins that Peter commands us to put off, and I want to deal with them together because they're related, are the sins of deceit and hypocrisy. Deceit and hypocrisy. For when we deliberately deceive or when we play the part of a hypocrite with others, we're not only showing disregard for the truth, which is needed to hold relationships together, but we're also harming each other as well. For when we're deceiving others, we're misleading them. We are manipulating them under false pretenses. And when we engage in hypocrisy, we are giving people a false impression as to who we really are. And we're making them vulnerable to being misled and misguided and even outright manipulated by us. And yet how often we justify a little deceit. Just a little deceit is not that bad, right? Just a little white lie is not really that harmful. How often we lead others to believe that we are one thing or that we feel a particular way towards them when in all truthfulness we view ourselves very differently 
or we have different feelings or intentions towards them altogether. And brethren, this type of attitude, this type of behavior should not be present among the people of God. You say, Pastor, it's not. We would never have malice. We would never have deceit. We would never have hypocrisy. Well, the apostle knows our hearts, and God knows our hearts as well. These are problems that often spring up. There's are problems that often develop and progress within the family of God. Malice, hard feelings towards one another, deceit, white lies, dishonesty. A little bit of deceit, we say, doesn't hurt, but it does. Hypocrisy between one another. We must not be deceitful. We, we must not wear a cloak of hypocrisy if we desire to have authentic, honest, and meaningful relationships with one another. For meaningful Christ-honoring relationships require that we put off deceit, that we put off hypocrisy, and that we seek to maintain truthfulness and honesty instead. For dear brethren, if Scripture teaches us anything, Scripture teaches us the importance of being completely honest in our dealings with God and in our dealings with one another. It teaches us that unlike sinful and deceitful men, God looks upon the heart, doesn't he? He looks upon the heart and he desires truthfulness in our inward parts. In fact, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 51 in verse 6, Behold, Lord, you delight in truth in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Therefore, dear brethren in Christ, let us put off, let us take off, let us lay aside, along with all malice, all signs of deceit and hypocrisy. Then the last two sins that Peter commands us to put off here for God's glory and for the promotion of sincere and earnest brotherly love are envy and slander. Envy and slander. And I want to deal with these two together as well. R.C. Sproul says that these two sins are twin sins. They often travel together in a group, and they are closely related to one another. For when we are envious, when we are jealous of our brother or sister, we can easily be tempted to slander them with our words. To not only think ill of them, that's what malice is all about, right? To not only have malice, but to speak ill of them, to speak ill of their character or of their reputation. And when we speak ill of one another, it is often because on some level we are very envious of what they have or what others have, or we find fault with them in order to make our own circumstances seem better. And yet, brethren, we should not be clothed by such thoughts or by such unloving actions. Rather, we should put away all envy and its sister sin of slander, and we should think well, and we should speak well of our brethren. Thus, let us take off those sins that so clearly hinder, those sins that so clearly destroy sincere brotherly love, and let us replace those 
unneeded and weighty garments with new garments made of true love from the heart. For our God is not glorified when his own people are malicious and deceitful, hypocritical, envious, or engaged in slandering one another. And yet, you and I are entirely capable of behaving in these ways if we do not keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. For if we desire to see our brethren and our churches built up, if we desire to see one another edified, by loving and supportive behaviors, we must be walking in the Spirit and not fulfilling the lusts of the flesh. For we seriously hinder our own spiritual growth and development when we allow these specific sins that Peter mentions here in verse 1 to become commonplace in our lives. And so what we need to do is stop being weighed down by them. We need to stop carrying this excess garment and we need to set them aside, to take them off, to cast them off, to lay them down right now. In fact, I urge all of us this morning to think very carefully about these passages. And if any of these things be true about us, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, or slander, now is the time to take it off. Now is the time to put it aside. Now is the time to lay it down. Let go of it. Repent of it. Move on. Put on that fresh garment by the power of the Spirit of godly and sincerely loving your brethren. Now, how do we do this? Will we do this, brethren, through the faithful hearing and receiving of God's word? Through the faithful hearing and receiving of God's word. In fact, James, in the book of James, urged his readers in a very similar way in James chapter 1 and verse 21, where he wrote these words. See how similar they are. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So James sounds a lot like Peter. And the reason they sound a lot like each other is they're inspired by the same Holy Spirit. And both of their messages are for us. For before we can receive meekness, before we can receive with meekness the implanted word, we, we must first put away those sins that would interfere with our spiritual growth. We must lay aside those sins that work in direct opposition to genuine meekness and humility in our lives. And as for the way by which you and I are to grow spiritually, Peter now addresses this theme here in verse 2 of First Peter chapter 2. Notice verse 2 of our text this morning. For Peter writes to all believers these words. Note these words. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And no doubt, the first thing that we should notice here in this passage is what Peter compares a growing believer to. 
what Peter compares a growing believer to. And what does he compare a growing believer to? He compares a growing believer to a newborn infant. A newborn infant. And of course, by making this reference to spiritual infancy, Peter is not saying here that a growing believer is one who's constantly acting like an infant, refusing to grow up, never reaching maturity. That's not what he's saying. But rather, Peter is saying here that just like an infant is motivated primarily by an intense longing to be fed, to be nourished by its mother's milk, so every growing believer longs for the pure, sincere milk of the word. Every true believer has an intense thirst for the word of God. For when it comes to true spiritual growth, there must be a desire for a commitment to receiving that which promotes our spiritual growth. And Peter reveals here in verse 2 what we as newborn infants should be longing for. What should we be longing for? And what we should have an intense thirst to receive. And that is, notice the text, pure spiritual milk. Pure spiritual milk. No doubt, this is a metaphor. This is a symbolic reference to the life-giving Word of God, which is able to build us up, which is able to give us an inheritance among those who are being sanctified. For God's Word is that imperishable Word that the Spirit uses to promote spiritual growth within us. And let us notice here, brethren, the words that Peter uses here in verse 2 to describe God's word and why it is so effective in promoting growth in newborn infants. First, Peter describes God's word as being pure. Notice that. Every word is significant, right? Every word of the word of God is significant. Notice the word pure. This word pure literally means undiluted, without any mixture. And thus, Peter is saying here that the Word of God is pure truth in its content. It is without impurity in its ability to nourish us spiritually. For unlike other information that claims to build us up, but which is watered down in its content, the Word of God is without any mixture. The Word of God is pure, unadulterated truth through and through. It is perfect in setting forth the truth that is needed for us to grow. Then secondly, Peter describes God's pure Word as spiritual milk. And this means it's perfectly suited for our spiritual needs. For what better spiritual nourishment is there for infants than milk? What better nourishment is there for those who long to grow up spiritually than the pure spiritual milk of the Word? And of course, the fact that this nourishing Word has been given to us for our growth is evidence enough that God desires our continual spiritual growth as His chosen people. For notice here in verse 2 that it is God's expressed will that by constantly drinking in His Word, 
that you and I may grow up into salvation. Notice that terminology, that we may grow up into salvation for our salvation, while it is completed in terms of our justification, is a state that we continue to grow in, a state that we continue to grow up into when it comes to our sanctification, when it comes to our progressive growth and holiness throughout this life. And this growth is brought about as we are nourished by a regular diet of God's Word. I hope you're seeing the connections here, because we might ask, why is it that some do not grow as they should? Because they're not seeking the pure spiritual milk. They're not feeding, they're not nourishing on the pure spiritual milk as they should. And this growth is brought about, as we stated, by a regular diet of God's Word, and especially as God's Word is preached. Especially as God's Word is preached, explained from the pulpit. For faith, as you know, comes by what? By hearing. Hearing what? Hearing the Word of God. And hearing by the Word of God. And of course, this observation from our text here, that you and I should long for the Word, that we should continue growing up into salvation, should cause each of us to pause this morning and ask ourselves two questions. I pose these questions to each of you this morning. Please take them seriously. Think about them in regards to your own life. How great is my longing for the pure Word of God? How great is my longing for the pure Word of God? You say, Pastor, it's not very intense. It's not very strong. Well, there's where you begin. There's where you begin. You've identified the root of the problem. How strong is your longing for the pure word of God? And then what are the evidences that I am showing forth that I am growing up into salvation? What are the evidences? What can be seen in my life? What can others see that are proof that I am growing in grace. For Peter is making it clear here in verse 2 that there should be a, a strong longing and thirsting in our lives as newborn infants that can't help but long after milk. And there should be consistent evidence in our lives that we are growing up, that we are making progress, not just in our understanding of salvation, but also in our practice of the truth that provides proof that the new birth has occurred within us by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we should desire to grow up into salvation because the longings that God creates within us and the evidences that God produces within us by obedience all work together to lead us towards spiritual maturity. And yet there's another reason why we should truly long after God's Word. There's another reason why we should truly endeavor to grow up, to constantly be growing up into salvation. Peter identifies that reason for us here in verse 3. Notice verse 3. And that is because we have indeed tasted that the Lord is good. 
we have indeed tasted that the Lord is good. Now, if you're reading along in the English Standard Version with me, you'll see that the English Standard Version begins this verse, verse 3, with the phrase, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And this word, if, suggests the possibility that Peter's readers had tasted of the Lord's goodness. However, without going too deeply into this matter, I think a much stronger case can be made that this phrase should be translated, since you have tasted, or because you have already tasted that the Lord is good. Since or because rather than if. If raises a question as to whether or not this is the case. I think the context suggests that it really should be since or because you have tasted that the Lord is good. And I, I make this claim this morning for, for two exegetical reasons as well. First, I believe that this verse should read because you have already tasted that the Lord is good, because every believer has already done this. If you are a true believer in Jesus Christ, there is absolutely no possibility that you have come to the conclusion that the Lord is not good. You know that the Lord is good. You have come to the conclusion that the Lord is good. In fact, he is indeed beyond good. And that's a reason that you desire his word more. And that's a reason that you desire to put forth the evidences of growth more. Then secondly, this interpretation is best suited here because our desire to know more of the Lord and his grace now is, is based on the satisfaction that we have already experienced. The satisfaction for you and I do not long for God's word more simply out of some faint hope that the Lord might show himself to be good. No, we have already tasted of his goodness. We already desire to experience that goodness even more. Even more. That's the idea. Since you've already tasted it once and you know it's really good, then you want to go back again and again and again. In fact, it is our chief duty in life to know God and to enjoy Him forever. In fact, that's what it states in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, as you know. And we cannot do these things. We cannot enjoy these benefits without longing for his pure word and endeavoring to grow up in his grace. For without an intense longing for the word, a longing that will bring us to gather each week to hear the word of God preached, you and I will not grow without that longing. Without a deep and genuine appreciation for how good the Lord is, we will not make the efforts necessary to grow in grace and truth as we need to. And therefore, beloved, let us lay hold of the truth. Let us take heart to practice what Peter wrote here in our text about what we need to put away and about what we need to pursue with our whole hearts. For again, in summary, this morning, what we need to put away are any attitudes or actions that would go against brotherly love. For love cannot thrive where there is malice or deceit or hypocrisy or envy or slander. And we need to give ourselves wholeheartedly to the pursuit of spiritual growth through a genuine longing for the word, through an increasing appreciation 
of God's present and profound goodness. Oh, brethren, may God make us individually as Christians and as a group of believers collectively, a people who are adorned with the garments of true love, adorned with the garments of true love. And may our testimony be that we are forever grateful to God and that we are always growing. Are these things true among us this morning? Are they true in your individual life? Are they true in your family? Are they true within this congregation? Can we say with Judgment Day honesty this morning that these things are thriving and doing well in us? Or are these issues that we as a church need to wrestle with, that we need to repent of, that we need to pursue with greater earnestness and intensity? May God give us the grace to be honest this morning. May God give us the grace to pursue those things that are truly worthwhile, to pursue those things that develop grace and growth within us for his glory above all, for our good, for the good of his church, for the good of our families, for the good of our own spiritual lives. May God give us the grace to respond well to his message this morning. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for its truthfulness, for its honesty. We thank you, Father, that sometimes the word of God confronts us in a very direct manner that we cannot escape from. And certainly there's no way that we could interpret this passage any other way this morning than to take it head on. We're here, Peter calls out sins that can develop within individual Christians and within congregations that can hinder love and that can hinder growth. And we must wonder, we must wonder this morning how often these things actually do hinder our lives and the churches that we participate in. Are there situations where malice, deceit, and hypocrisy, envy, and slander get in the way? And though these are unpleasant to think about, they're unpleasant to even talk about in a sense, they are nevertheless problems of the heart, and our hearts are desperately wicked, and our hearts are very deceitful. We can find ourselves indulging in these sinful attitudes and desires very, very quickly and find ourselves in a position to where we need to repent. And so we would ask, Father, that you would give us the clarity of mind and thought and discernment this morning to evaluate ourselves and see if these are areas that we need to address. We would pray, dear Lord, that we would respond to them with a sincere and intense desire for the pure milk of the word. Give us this morning a greater hunger for the Word of God. Give us an appetite for it. Help us not to be satisfied with anything less than the pure milk of the Word. Feed us. Nurture us. Grow us up with that Word. And Father, help us to pursue spiritual growth in every way that we can. 
if we've been neglecting the Word of God of late, if we've left our Bibles closed and unopened, if we've neglected to spend time in the Word of God, to feed ourselves, to drink from that Word, then forgive us and help us, Father, to resolve by your grace to be in that Word daily, to spend time understanding that Word, applying that Word, allowing the Word of God to cleanse our way. Father, so often we fail to do that, and that's the result. That results in so many problems for us. So we would ask you, Father, to convict us in this area today and give us the grace to pursue your Word on a regular basis, to spend time in it, to delight in it, be nourished by it. And Father, may you do this for your own glory and for our good. And may you give us the grace to respond to all that we've heard today. For we ask these things this morning in Jesus' name.